0: Lynn and I are uh, back from my dad's internment. Um, Some people asked how it went, and I will say this, we had a great relaxing time. My grandfather bought two lots on a muddy river, the Flint River, on Lake Blackshear, back in the 50s, and there's a double-wide trailer there. And so we went to Albany, Georgia to put my dad on the ground, and then uh, spent four or five days at what we call the lake. And uh, there's just nothing to do there, and it was awesome. Um, I didn't take any fish and tackle, nothing because I knew that if I started fishing I'm going to get obsessed with it and try to find more and try to do it better and so we just we just rested. We never set an alarm except for the day we flew home. It was very good. I will say this one thing though um, it was a little it was a little odd to be there because my dad had three wives, not all at once, my mom and then his second wife Missy, and then uh, his third wife Donna, and they're Four boys from the first marriage, one daughter from the second marriage, and two stepkids from the third marriage, and this is likely the last time those that group of people will ever be gathered together. Uh, It was at a graveside. It was just for about half an hour, and then we had dinner um, or lunch. But it was it was a little surreal um, to to know that my dad's people, because we've been talking about we are our people, um, my dad's people. The only reason for those that group of people to really be together is because of him, and that's the last time that we're going to gather because of him. So we we can do it, but like my his widow is moving next spring to Kentucky from Florida to be near her daughter and her grandkids, and so there's nothing that draws us to Kentucky except driving through on the way to Georgia. So it was just a, it was a it was a good it was a good experience, but it was a little surreal. And I know a bunch of you have asked, and I figured I'd answer the question all at once. So. There you go. And one more thing, uh, that we have a guest here. I, there are several guests, but someone that you know uh, vicariously, the person that Lynn and I got to officiate her baptism in New Jersey, Shannon Green. She is sitting right back there, and I know she's hating me right now, but uh, Shannon, it, someone, uh, someone sent some money to get her here. So it's really good to see you, Shannon. I didn't. I, I just assumed you were going to be at the later service, but it's really good it's Really good to see you. Um, so we've got a tight service today and a tight service over there, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, we are talking, this is Family Matters. This is the, the, the idea of what God wants for His people, of His people, and from His people. So it's, fam, family, it's Family Matters and Family Matters. And we've talked a lot over the last three or four weeks. Today we're going to concentrate on one particular thing, and that is forgiveness. Not only the forgiveness we get from Christ, but forgiveness that we, rec- we receive it from Christ, but we also need to forgive ourselves. And then the hard one, especially on a communion Sunday, is how we might forgive one another. So we're going to start with a passage from John 14, and then we're going to be in the passages that Chris preached from last week, Pastor Chris, um, but we're going to concentrate on something else, and then we'll end up in Colossians. And I'm gonna, after the prayer, I'm going to start with a joke that I really hope works, but it didn't work with my wife yesterday, so I have no idea. Let's pray. Lord, join us as we join you. Um, we, never, we don't believe in your absence. You are always everywhere all the time. But sometimes we need a reminder of your presence. So I ask, Lord, that you be present with us today, not only in the elements of your body and your blood in the, in the communion juice and bread, but in your spoken word. We are you are the Word of God, and you give us the Word of God, and you give us the Holy Spirit to continue making us into the people you want us to be. So, Lord, as we talk about the, the biggest thing, in my opinion, in Christianity, forgiveness, both receiving it and offering it, I ask that you, you help me speak to your people what you want them to hear, not what I want them to hear. The, this is your message for us, not my message for them. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father, amen. So Sunday school teacher had 10-year-old boys in class, and I'm just going to read it so I get it right, because if I don't say it exactly right, it will come off weird. Um, She had concluded her lesson and wanted to make sure that she had made her point clear. So she said at the end of the class, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin, 10-year-old boys, they sat around awkwardly for a minute, and then one kid raised his hand and said, sin. <laughs> okay, it worked. Good. <clears throat> now, before we read this passage uh, from, from Ephesians, I want to I I read something from the farewell discourse. Jesus in John, the gospel according to John in 14, is when he starts telling us, that he's going away, he's going to the Father, and he's sending to us a counselor, a paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And it even says that it's better if I go so that you will get this counselor. But one of the things that Jesus said that is just easy to kind of to skate right by because it sounds nice and religious is he says this, "'Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid.'" Now, I don't think he's speaking only here of forgiveness, but it is in part, and we know it psychologically speaking, that, that the anxiety, not, not all anxiety, but ang- one of the issues, one of the things that comes in our bodies and in our brains from not forgiving those who have harmed us or not forgiving ourselves, even though the Lord has, one of the things, depression, anxiety, illness, disease, even people argue that cancer—if if, you—if you're always afraid, or you're always uptight, or you're always holding a grudge—it changes your body chemistry, and it makes it so that your body has less ability to fight off disease. It—it—it it, 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 it has a psychological effect, it has an emotional effect, and it has a spiritual effect. So, Jesus says, "I give not as the world gives." Now, I'm going to ask you right now to look around the world. And what is one of the things, maybe the primary thing, that we're finding out that drives everybody and make, puts people in their different camps? Grudges, offense. And it used to be that we could disagree with one another and still be in relationship. And now the world has gone in such a way that I think I'm right. And if, you're, if you disagree with me, therefore you are evil. Things have changed. And what we do is we do not forgive. We will not forgive. Someone who said something 25 years ago that comes back up now will destroy someone's career. That's what the world does. And you've heard me say over the last several months, do not do what comes natural to you. Do what comes natural to God. Christians are not supposed to be people who do what comes natural because what comes natural is revenge, grudge anger frustration accusation suspicion that's what comes natural when you watch the news do you go oh i think i'm being told the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help them god no when you hear politicians speak with all the stuff with the reconciliation uh bill last week and all the the did did it did it bring peace to you or did it up your ire See, Christ said, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gave. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You know the other time when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says, for I have overcome the world. Or in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He tells us not to be afraid. He tells us not to be troubled. So how might we appropriate that peace that He gave to us, that He left with us, that He wants us to have. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, or chapter 4, into the first verse of chapter 5, um, Paul's pretty clear. And I know that Pastor Chris preached on, he read this, this, this passage last week, but it says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give a devil, the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with his hands. That he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And I know that Pastor Chris mentioned that last week, that that word for unwholesome is spoiled fish. So that tells you kind of how God sees unwholesome talk. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice and be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. First children's message I ever gave at Hardaway White Christian Reformed Church was Ephesians 5.1. And I used the Living Bible version that says, imitate the Lord in all that you do, just as a much-loved child imitates his father. And at that point in time, I had major issues with my father. And I'm trying to think back to one time that I wanted to imitate my father, and it was very difficult to do. So I felt like I'm going to be dirty telling kids something, using an example that wasn't true for me. And I remember the time when my brother Heath was born, my parents had a stay with my dad's mom and dad my my grandparents and they forgot to pack underwear and my grandma yeah (laughs) i was four um and my grandma my grand now it just kills me that i said i was four i was i was seven so um you don't care but it's important to me uh so my grandma decided she needed to go get me some underwear and she, she was, we're going to go to Sears. And I said, no, we can't go to Sears. I need to go to JCPenney. That's the kind of underwear daddy has. So it was, I got to tell that story to, to remember a time that I was, that, that it felt like I had a good relationship with my father. Because so much had been perverted in my own view of him um, by his leaving my mom, getting remarried, and starting another family. Now, you know... That I made peace with that years and years and years ago. But I'm going to tell you, if I hadn't, I would have no right to stand up in front of you to preach the gospel. No right. Because if I know that I have malice or bitterness or rage or frustration or anger or unforgiveness, that I am not walking in Christ. Pastor Doug, one of the things he's going to say over in Mosaic this morning is that unforgiveness is self-worship. It's idolatry. And it is really hard. It's very costly. So before we get into how or why we need to forgive one another, whatever grievances we may have against one another, I want to, I want to read to you just a little thing um, about how, what it might do to you. If you don't receive the forgiveness that Christ has for you if, you, if you have this idea in your mind that, well, if he really knew what I've done, well, he does know what you've done. And, he, and it's for you he came to die. It's for you he came to forgive. It's for, to, for you he came to set free. So there's a little story about a little boy who's, um, this is from uh, Richard Hoffler's book, Will Daylight Come? A little boy visiting his grandparents was given a slingshot, his first one. He went out in the woods, and he he couldn't hit a thing, nothing. I mean, he was terrible at it. Um, So, but on, on his way back in, way back to the house, on impulse, he saw his grandma's pet duck, and he drew back, and he let fly, and it hit the thing right in the head, and it fell dead immediately. And he scrambled, scared to death. Oh, what he's done to his grandmother's duck and what, what his grandmother's going to think. And it's the slingshot that she gave him. And so he hides this dead duck in a woodpile. And as he does, he turns around and he sees his sister, Sally. So he panicked. She said nothing. And after lunch, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, "Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny?" And then she whispered, "Remember the duck." So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked uh, if the children wanted to go fishing. And uh, Grandma said, "I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me make supper." And Sally smiled and said, "That's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it." Again, she whispered, "Remember the duck." And after several days, Uh, of Johnny doing both chores, both his chores and Sally's. Finally, he couldn't stand anymore and he confessed everything to his grandma. And she goes, I know Johnny, I was standing in the window. I saw everything. Because I love you, I forgave you. And I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. Sin, yes, imprisons us. But confessed sin and forgiven sin frees us. And if you or I don't believe that God did through the person of Jesus Christ, if we do not believe that the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive our sins against him and against other people, then we are telling God, I know better than you. Not I'm no better than you, but I know better than you. That is right back to the original sin. Not your will, Lord, but mine be done. Now, I don't think there's a Christian here. I don't think there's anyone watching online that thinks, well, yeah, I think I know better than God. But I know some of you have regret. Some of you have shame. Some of you wonder Why you let something go so long. Why, how you, how this relationship failed, how, where, where you messed up. And, and, and we've all messed up. I can tell you this for 30 years, the thing that controlled me was my dad. And he had no idea. He made one big, big mistake. He had an affair. He cheated on my mom. And when he was called on it, he left the family. That's a big mistake. That's a big thing. And it is a life-altering thing for an entire family. But every other wound that I received over the next 30 years, he had no idea. Because I was imprisoned with not only not forgiving him, but with hating myself because I wouldn't. So. Why is it that God commands us to forgive? And it shows up everywhere. Jesus says, "If if you forgive your brother when he sins against you, so my heavenly father will forgive you. And if you do not forgive your brother when he sins against you, neither will my father in heaven forgive you your sins. Why is the only conditional thing in Christianity forgiveness? Because it's what makes God's people, God's people. Forgiveness. Not receiving it. Yes, that's important. But giving it. And forgiveness is costly. It's inconvenient. It's messy. It hurts. And it costs the person wronged twice. First, when you're wronged. And then you have to choose to no longer hold their sin against them anymore. It is unbelievably difficult, especially if it's a sin or a grievance that goes deep to your core of what it's supposed to be like, who you really are, and what family is supposed to be. Now, we're going to go to Colossians chapter chapter 4, and I want you to hear it again, because Paul says it again. Jesus concentrates on forgiveness. How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? No, 77 times. Paul, almost every letter talks about forgiveness. It is one of the, it is one of, forgiveness is talking about more in the New Testament than love. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Forgive whatever grievances you might have against one another. When we're talking about this and how almost everyone has someone that's wronged them, I mean Jesus even talks about it when he says love your enemy. That's a wonderful Christian thing to say until you have someone who wants harm to come to you. So if I if I'm supposed to love my enemy and they do harm to me, the biggest act of love is to choose to not get what I deserve from them. I deserve justice, but Christ wants me to give mercy. I deserve to see them punished. It's right. But God says, I want you to set them free. It's as if when I hold on to a grudge, Buddy Hackett says it this way. He says, you know, I don't hold a grudge because when I'm holding the grudge, they're out dancing. They don't care. They probably don't even know. It's like someone living rent-free in your head, and they've got... They've got all the cable channels. They have a perfect 70 degrees, winter, spring, fall, summer, because in the AC, it, man, it is expensive, especially with the electric rates going up the way they are. They're, 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 they have the, the king-size bed that they replace every year. It, it, they're living in the penthouse of your mind, and they don't pay anything, and you're paying all the, you're paying all the fees. It's costing you. It's not costing them. And then it turns out, the, all the other stuff you're hearing running around in your head, all those things that they've said, all those things that they've done, all those things that they're probably thinking about you, all that stuff, they're not even up there. It's a self-created prison that Christ wants us out of. The, The key to the locked cell door is in your back pocket. The way out is to take the key out, reach through, turn backwards, and open the door and leave. He does not ask us to forgive those who deserve it. Those who are asking for it. He asks us to forgive any grievance that anybody has against us. If you want the peace of Christ that transcends understanding, if you want the peace that he gives to you and leaves to you, the place to start is choosing to no longer hold other people's sins against them. And I'm not being a jerk. I'm passionate about this because it transformed my life. I was able to go this week, a week ago Saturday, and sit at a gravesite and hear my half-sister speak, she, she wrote something out, speak these wonderful words about her experience with my dad. He was always there. He showed up to everywhere. Yes, he argued politics, but da-da-da-da. And, and he was the person that all my friends, all my friends wanted to know him. He was the guy that was always there. He was always available. He's always, completely different experience that I had in my life. And I was able to sit there and go, whoa, it's a little weird. Not what I experienced. But I could rejoice for her that she had a dad that's the same dad as I had that was good and right and present and wise and helpful and loved her. If I, this, I'm not trying to make this message about me, but I'm trying to tell you the one thing I've learned as a Christian, the one thing that has changed everything in my life is choosing to no longer hold against someone what they've done wrong to me. And it is hard, especially in this day and age. And as a pastor, I don't know if you know this, but you as church members are allowed to say anything you want to say to me and to Kurt and to Doug and to Chris and to Josh, to Nate, to Pastor Greg. And we're not allowed to respond in kind Some of the most god awful things I've ever heard have come from Christian people. Some of the most god awful accusations I've ever heard or suspicions I've ever heard have come from Christian people. Imagine, and I'm I'm not asking you to, I'm not saying, oh, my job is so hard. That's not what I'm getting at. But imagine if I held a grudge against every person that said something awful to me or about me. Do you think that I would be preaching forgiveness today? Or do you think I would be preaching vengeance today? Not forgiving someone who sinned against you is like drinking poison, hoping they'll get sick. And if you have someone that you're not forgiving, you already know. And if you're waiting for them to come to you and ask you to forgive them, You're sinning. And forgiveness isn't a one-time thing. It's, not a, one-time, it's a one-time thing with God. He tre- treats us as if we've never sinned. But each time we sin again, he forgives us again. And if you have someone that's hurt you deeply, yes, you have to forgive up front. But then every day after that, each experience you have with them, you have to choose it again. I'm going to live forgiveness, not feel forgiveness. Now, let me read this passage from Colossians one more time and see if God might be agreeing with what the person he's chosen to speak today is saying. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can I be unforgiving for the name of Jesus? I can't. And some will say and I get it, I can't forgive. And as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you that can't is Latin for won't. Everyone can forgive, but it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do, especially if the wound or wounds is or are deep. But the peace he gave to us, the peace he leaves with us, when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, a big component of that peace dwelling in you richly is behaving in a way that is supernatural. Do not do what comes natural to you. Do what comes natural to God. In a moment, we're gonna experience something very natural, very plain, very simple. Bread and juice. But there's something supernatural that takes place. There's some transformation that God does. The presence of God, somehow, it's a means by which God gives us grace. How it works, don't know. I'm in good company with that. John Calvin says, I would rather experience it than understand it. So in a moment, you've already got your bread. In a moment, juice is going to come by, and the pastor is going to say, this is the body of Christ for you. This is the blood of Christ. You or poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, whatever, however, however, whichever version of the scriptures that we use today. But Paul warns us, and he says, Don't eat of the bread or drink of the cup in an unworthy manner. And that back then, people, rich people, were bringing lots of food to church and they were eating until they were full, and the poor people got nothing. So they were lording it over one over another. And he said, duh -uh, you're gonna eat and drink condemnation on yourself if you do it that way. So how is it in this day and age do we lord it over someone else? We decide that someone's grievance against me, some, some sin against me, is so big that I get to not forgive them even though Christ forgave them. So if you are holding a grudge with someone in the room, with someone in your family, with someone in your past, with someone you work with, someone in your neighborhood who doesn't mow their lawn as often as they should, whatever it might be, whatever that little thing, that thing that's in your head. When you take communion today, you have two options. Take a pass until you can make it right. Or confess to God the grudge you've been holding. Ask him to forgive you and let him know that from this point forward, you will treat that person as if they have not harmed you. You choose to live forgiveness, not just feel forgiveness. And if you do that, that is an act of contrition and worship. It will begin a process of changing you more than just about anything on the planet. And if you, are, if you have no grudges, if you have no unforgiveness in your heart, then take a moment as I pray... To thank God that he has delivered you from what comes natural to every human being on the planet. And that is to hate those who have wronged you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I want to thank you for my dad. For the life he lived. And even for the dad he was and wasn't. Because without that experience, I never would have learned the one thing you've been trying to teach me my whole life. And I haven't got it all figured out, but I do know that I'm free and I would have been in prison. So thank you for forgiving me and thank you for the blood of Christ that's sufficient to forgive me my sins and thank you for the blood of Christ that's sufficient to forgive other people's sins against me. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that you will bring to mind hatred, bitterness, anger, or just a grudge and that you, will, that, you will, that you will convict us of it and ask us to confess it and forgive us for it and help us to forgive ourselves and also for, to forgive the person who sinned against us. Set us free, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.